And now, coming to you live from the precipice of calamity that is the 2014 Hugo Awards, it's Jonathan Strand and Gary K. Wolf with very special guests, John DiNardo and Tansy Rainer Roberts on the Coot Street Podcast! People have, compl- people have compared you, Jonathan, to Kermit, and Kermit never talked about the precipice of what was that? Calamity, Gary. Precipice of calamity. Oh. <laughs> we would we should welcome our two guests tonight to talk about the precipice of calamity. Um, John DiNardo from SF Signal. Uh, congratulations for the nomination, even though you've just informed us that you're not actually listed on the podcast. And Tansy Rainer Roberts, who actually won as a fan writer in a much deserved win. Um, so we have two Hugo, well, yeah, Jonathan and I haven't won Hugo's, so let's just. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded a bit pathetic and neat. Anyway, welcome to you both. It's great to have you with us. Hello, it's nice to be here. How are you doing, folks? Great to be here. And this will be your year. This could be your year. I think it's going to be a fascinating year. I mean, setting aside the ballot we're about to discuss for a minute, I mean, we're just saying, we're, you know, most of us are going, you might not be, John, but you may, to what is going to be the biggest Worldcon in history, 20, 20%, 25% bigger than uh, any that I've been to before, and about 400% bigger than any you've been to before, Tansy. Yes. Um, yes. It's going to be so mad. Mine is a very low bar for size of conventions I've been to. It is going to be chaotic. The dealer's room is going to be insane. I've seen a little fragment of the program that looks very exciting. Um. My, my, it looks like my daughter's going to be on the program. Excellent. Really? That's very cool. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be a wacky world. And we've been presented with this conversational gift that is the 2014 Hugo and Campbell Award ballot. Were you pretty excited, guys? I was quite excited. You kept yeah, telling me I should be excited. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, John? I, I was too. It was, uh, there, you know, there's some, uh, some great things on this, uh, on this list. Well, I guess talking about the shape of the ballot before we zip down it, as we will, um, I know there are all kinds of issues, but considering that this ballot in the, you know, as, as part of a trend of Hugo ballots over the last five years, which you've both followed, what do you feel about the overall structure of it and how it compares with the trend towards more uh, inclusive ballots, more aware, all that kind of stuff? I think it's a very um, progressive ballot in some ways, and it's very much a 21st century ballot, like particularly looking at some of the lower categories. I know you want to go through them in order, but, <laughs> um, you know, like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of online material on here. Mm-hmm. The fan writer category is a thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's categories which previously people have winced a bit about, say, gender balance or things like that are actually looking pretty healthy. And something like, I mean, I think best best related work is one of the most interesting categories uh, because I know you have just about anything in there, but they do have just about anything. There's a podcast, there's a, a writing book, there's a blog post, there's a collection of online writing bound as a, a book, and uh, there's Queers Tink Time Lords. So, I mean, I know is this the first time that a book with queers in the title has been on a Hugo ballot. Uh, it's a pretty exciting category to me. <laughs> so yeah, there's quite a lot of. Uh, it feels like a very, a very now kind of ballot. Even though, of course, there's also things from the past and from you no know, 
older or more classic kind of or more established authors on there too. So yep. it's, it's a good mix. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. I think it's a, I think it's a, a significant step in the right direction, right? I mean, there's, I mean, sure, you can poke holes in it as you can with any ballot, but I mean, just like Tansy pointed out, I mean, just look at the stuff on there. Lots of online content, lots of diverse content. It's, uh, I think it's, it's something to be, to be feel good about. Yeah. How about you, Gary? I think if you look at the overall shape of the ballot, I would agree with that, that the, the pattern in the last few years is for increasing diversity and increasing uh, recognition. The, the, the new uh, the Campbell Award list is a very encouraging list. So that if you look at the ballot as a whole, apart from some of the peculiarities of it, it follows a pattern we've seen in the several years of, of, of the past several years of, of growing more inclusive. It's, it's a little bit like, um, I don't know, let's use a science fiction metaphor. It's a little bit like a really nice, diverse sort of Robert Reed kind of Jupiter-sized starship, which is very healthy, but it's passing near a black hole and getting sucked at. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lovely metaphor. It is. That's great. Plus one for the great ship reference. Awesome. Exactly. Yes. Well, I guess we'll drift towards the, the, the sucking black hole in a moment because we might start at the top of the ballot. Uh, and for, for those people listening to the podcast who aren't aware of the issues surrounding it yet, I assure you we will get to them quite shortly because they do come up. Now, the first great thing about this year's ballot is this is overwhelmingly the most number of nominations ever received in the history of the awards. If you go back really? as far as 2008, this is more than double the, the number. When they cracked, they didn't get over a thousand ballots in 2010 in Melbourne, and they're up around the 1900 mark, actually, all told, for this year's Hugo's, I believe. So this is a slam dunk, broad vote, voting population, which is quite interesting. And it's now going to, that, that, those 1900 nominators are going to feed those nominations into eight and a half thousand voters who are going to look at this and make their decision about what's the most worthy. I'm going to read very quickly through the five nominees for Best Novel, and then we'll talk about the category. We've got Warbound by Larry Correa from Bane, Parasite by Mira Grant from Orbit, The Wheel of Time, in brackets, the complete series, by Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson, Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie from Orbit, and Neptune's Brood by Charles Strauss from Ace and Orbit. So that's the ballot. What do you guys think? Well, I've actually only read... Ancillary Justice, which I really liked last year. Mm -hmm. It's like the mm -hmm. science fiction book that I read last year, but I was lucky it was a good one. Uh, and I've read up to book four of The Wheel of Time in the mid-90s, at which point I quit, about which I feel no regret. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I'd be voting for Anne Leckie because she's the one that I've read, but it's it looks like a pretty balanced... It's not a surprise to see Charles Stross or Mira Grant on there. They've both yeah. appeared quite a bit in this category in the past, so... Yeah, but I'm not aware of the other books. What about what about you, uh, John? Uh, well, I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to admit I'm I'm horribly underread this year, and and I haven't read any of these. And and the same disclaimer for some of the short fiction categories as we go on. But uh, I think you know if if I could have guessed before the announcements were um, were announced, I, I I certainly would have put Ancillary Justice on there. I think that was. Uh, you know, there was so much buzz about that book. It would I would have been surprised if it wasn't on the on the best novel ballot. Uh, and, and yeah, so uh, and and Charles Strauss and Mira Grant, they're um, I, I don't know if I'd call them mainstays, but uh, which which isn't a bad thing. Um, but they're uh, again, their books. I've seen uh, good things about about their books as well. 
Um, I haven't heard much about uh, Warbound uh, and, of course, Wheel of Time, right? It's uh, <laughs> it's big. The whole series, huh? I, I, I didn't catch that the first time I ran through the uh, ran through the ballot. It is. Yeah. It says it's the Wheel of Time, the whole series. It is. It's all How does that happen? That wasn't, that wasn't last year. How does that work? Uh, the way it works, just quickly, is if I recall, there's a rule in the Hugos that says that if you have a single narrative work published in multiple parts... Then it, and no, none of those parts have been ever been eligible for the Hugo before, then the complete work is eligible in its final year of publication, or final date of publication. I believe it was initiated for serialized novels in magazines, but it applies to any, any work like this. Where I think you, it's, it's really exciting, I was just going to say, to... Yeah. to know because I, I talked about it on twitter i think it's a precedent and you told me it wasn't a precedent because the rule's always been there yeah. but a lot of people don't know about this rule and i think it's something that in the past it's been really noticeable that books that are serialized even just trilogies often don't make awards lists over say worthy standalone books mm. and i think that's been a bit of a blind spot for awards generally and the hugos in particular in the past so this hopefully will make people more aware of that aspect of the awards so that maybe they will do more nominating books when the last book of the series comes out well, the, those, OC, those OCD voters who want to read all the works before uh, the voting better get started <laughs> I mean I, I guess there'll always be that question then about like and like you know whether a you know a 350 page Anne Leckie novel is anything like in inverted commas a I don't know even how many words 8 million word fantasy novel cut in pieces um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how people um, react to it in the future. Were you going to say something, Gary? We were talking uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, we had a podcast, I did a podcast from it with Steve Erickson, who has a 10-volume, 3 million-word novel, which, which he fairly clearly conceives as a single narrative arc, and I think that seems to be the, the, the main principle that people are going after here. Uh, and I think that uh, Tansy's absolutely right. There have been any, any number of trilogies that, that are really a single continuous arc. Well, Lord of the Rings is the classic archetype of this. And is it fair to eliminate the entire series because none of the previous ones have been nominated, or even if other ones have been nominated? I think going over a period of time, with the Wheel of Time has been going on so long now that I mean, it's you know, if if he didn't get nominated this year, it'd be up for the retro Hugo's in a couple of years at this point. Um, <laughs> So it's it, the principle is interesting. I don't know if the principle was necessarily intended uh, to include a novel stretched over uh, an author's lifetime and into the beginning of another author's career. Whether that's one novel or whether that's a series is something we can debate, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I've got to say I'm fairly comfortable with it. I mean, it's not something that would have occurred to me, but you know. Uh, there's always been a question in the awards, or in fact awards generally, in, you know, in the last handful of years about how you recognize series. And people have talked about having a series award. And it, yeah, you can imagine turning to a batch of judges for a jury award saying, and now here's 11 volumes of The Wheel of Time, 10 volumes of the Steve Erickson, and four volumes of this, and nine volumes of that. Mm. Read it up because we're going to have to choose on the ballot. So I'm happy to see this. My question, though, about it is I would never have thought of it either. And how many... Hugo nominators would have thought of that on their own if they hadn't been prompted at some point. That's true. There was certainly. Uh, did you did you see it, John and Tansy? There certainly was uh, prompting online on this once somebody had realized that this was a possibility. I didn't see I did that, see but that. I don't have a problem with prompting no. because I, mean, I I I you know because people do. I, and 
I don't think that individually we are really capable of remembering all the stuff that we really like that we'd like to have on a ballot, which is why yeah, I think how, that, how you, know, do you vote? How do you vote if you don't know, right? Yeah, you and it's, it's easy to not think about those things. And also a lot of people don't know that that rule exists. So, True. Well, let me ask this. If, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. Uh, well, let me ask this: If, if so, if if only if a handful of people voted for the Wheel of Time as a series, but other people just voted for the volume that came out last year, does that do they count as different votes for different properties? I, I don't know. I do believe the Hugo administrator has the discretion to handle a nomination that, in in a way that appears in keeping with the intent of the ballot and the intent of the voters overall, whatever that may mean. It's possible they may have agglomerated them. But given that there was some discussion of this, I think what's happened is enough people have recognized it, nominated it, now it sits on the ballot, and all of us are talking about going, oh, wow, that's a possibility. And I think it's very intriguing. It does also Mm -hmm. open the gate to the other conversation that we need to have at this point, I think, about, you know, sort of when you talk about things you like, things you want, want to see on the ballot, and, and what constitutes, you know, sort of uh, prompting people's memory, what constitutes campaigning, what constitutes block voting. And that has to do with what could be politely d- described as the sad puppy ballot. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware of the sad puppy Hugo slate. This was set up by a guy called, by Larry Correa, who's on the best Hugo ballot, where he encouraged his blog readers to buy voting memberships, join the WorldCon, and nominate a set group of works, a number of which have made the final ballot, uh, including wow. Larry's own novel. Now, I don't know what I think. I mean, part of me goes, I'm, I don't love it. I don't think it's the classiest thing in the world to, to do, but it's within the rules, and I don't think it's actual block voting per se, at which point the uh, nominee would have to be was disallowed because they've disallowed block voted nominees in the past. So is block voting when somebody actually buys a lot of memberships themselves? Like, what's the difference between I, that I, I think it's, I, I think, and please, maybe this is a time to you know, sort of play the magic sort of Ask Cheryl card. I think, <laughs> I really do think it is when the, the ballots are identical. Right. You know, if they got 50 ident- you know, identical ballots from the same you know, uh, zip code or postcode, I think maybe they'd go, hang on, something's up there and they might disallow those ballots. But when a, uh, a sample, and in this case, I think he, you know, that they were talking about maybe 12 nominees across six or seven categories, if they're sprinkled in amongst all the other ballots, then there's nothing that the actual voting committee or the, the committee themselves can do. Yeah. I, I think you have to make a distinction between block voting and slate voting, which are not quite the same thing. Uh, I know one of the things, and Jonathan, you and I have talked about this, that Charles Brown was very sensitive about when the locust ballots would come. And you get you get a large number of ballots with only one name in one category listed on every ballot. And it was clearly a block. These were people who had no interest in the awards except for their favorite writer. A slate is what you're talking about when Larry Correa and his sad puppy uh, blog has listed, suggested a whole group of candidates. So you can suggest a slate of candidates, and any number of people have done that, and that's been going on for years, which is not necessarily turning into a block. When you have a large number of people that buy memberships specifically to vote for a specific work, that, I think, is clearly a block. Yeah. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Like, you see it, and it it feels, and it looks unfair, but then you have to look at all the other things that are done. It's like, 
people have cited this as an example because I didn't see this, but I did see the commentary about it this morning. Mm. And a lot of people have uh-huh. compared this to the whole thing of campaigning for votes generally. And then there's the whole thing of like, well, is just mentioning your eligibility on a blog, does, on a blog post, does that count as campaigning? To some people, that is campaigning. And so it's, it becomes this big complicated mess whereby a lot of fingers get pointed. And yeah, I didn't see, so I didn't see the original sad puppy thing. Are there other works on the ba- on the current Hugo ballot that were related to that specific? Yeah, about six or seven. Out? About six right. or seven. Yeah. We're going to get that. that and I'll, I'll flag them as we go down, just so as you know what they are. Uh-huh. Yeah, I find it really interesting that this is done out in the open because presumably this stuff has often gone on behind closed doors. But the idea that it's done so blatantly. Uh, I, I will say, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, sorry, John. Yeah, go ahead. So, well, I'm saying there's, you know, pe- people people tend to see it as a black and white thing. And I, I guess I kind of see there's gray area, right? So people think if you if you put up a blog post to let people know that you're eligible, that that's campaigning. It's like, well, yeah, I guess maybe technically it might be. But there's always that argument. If I don't tell people I'm eligible, then they won't know if they want to vote for me. They won't know to vote for me. So I don't think there's any harm in that. But then, you know, you could take an extreme where, you, where you're talking about block voting and encouraging your readers to to buy votes and and, you know, actively pursuing, repeatedly actively pursuing, uh, trying to essentially buy votes or, gosh forbid, buying votes yourself or whatever. I mean, yeah, the system can be gained. What are you proving? You're not. I mean, no. at some point you got to ask yourself, do I want to win the award based uh, on, uh, you know, because I can convince my fan base to to, you know, to vote for me? Or am I doing it on merit or because people think it's their favorite book? And I, and I don't and honestly, I'm not I'm not trying to make any statements here. I don't know the, the situation surrounding, what, yeah. you know specific title or anything but you know there's there's gray area right and and you know there's you could be you could be excessive in that if you want to be i think so i think i i also had this thought as i was looking at the ballot and thinking about it and it's one of the things that is being done by larry career and his and brad torgerson who's been involved in this and a few other people is they are encouraging a group of people to be involved in voting for the hugos who have traditionally chosen not to frankly and if you were to turn around and say to anybody that, uh, you know, let's encourage a group of people to vote, then you would generally say that's a good thing. And I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely torn here. I mean, I realize that they've provided a bit of a slate and people have followed it. But on the other hand, they've not provided a slate that had five nominees in every category. There's at most two and a handful. So if they've nominated other things as well along the way, it's, it's like it's like a good, bad thing, I think. Uh, part of it is good. Part of it I don't like. I don't like the feel of it. I'd rather think there was a spontaneous nomination. But you know, I also think I've been going on. I, uh, someone sh- uh, showed me a, a comment about the fact that we're living in a period like peak oil for peak fiction. You know, uh, and I was looking at a, at a raw list of nominations for an award the other day, and I think there were two hundred fantasy novels on it from two thousand fourteen. How do you find anything if somebody doesn't even mention it? How's that campaigning? So. Well, the other it's interesting too, the campaigning, not just for yourself, but for a group, yeah. because a lot of people this year exactly. put up on their blog a list mm. of things that they wanted to see nominated, like mm. multiple things on categories, things that they personally were nominated for. Like, that's quite a common thing. And so it's the thing of like, well, how is it that that's – it is such a grey thing, isn't it? Because if you say that one thing's not okay, then you it, it doesn't feel right, but that doesn't mean that – it There's a be, difference. I mean, yeah. the, the, I, I, again, I, I agree with that and I, I agree with John. A, a lot of writers, maybe even most writers now, at least will 
put some kind of an announcement on their blog, on Twitter, a kind of for your consideration announcement. These are the things that I've done that are eligible. And and that's that's far less than what Hollywood movies do when they buy enormous billboards and, and take ads out in trade magazines and that sort of thing, <laughs> encouraging people to vote. Um, but I think yeah, I, I think Tangie's right also. That's announcing what you have that's eligible uh, is one thing. Announcing other works, which if we want to be fairly frank about it, seem to be ideologically of a piece and saying you should vote for this group looks like looks to me a lot more like politics than announcing one's own eligibility i think that's fair yeah okay and especially i was looking at this like because you know they use the australian voting system don't they for for the Mm -hmm. hugos to me that looks like voting above the line instead of voting below the line which is where you're Mm -hmm. voting for a political party and that means they get to choose the order of your votes i guess Um, that's what i'm saying is it looks like a political it does, doesn't it? But, you know, look, we've got nominees to vote for. And one of the yes. things that really has to be remembered is, for all the discussion on the ballot, don't lose track of the worthy nominees that are on the ballot. Absolutely. Now, one thing we're going to do is yeah. we're going to go and do sort of a could win, should win, or what, what I want to win, what I think will win mm-hmm. for the ballot. Are you guys comfy doing it for this, given how much you've read? Or... Yeah. Okay. How about we'll go in a regular order through this. We'll go Tansy, John, Gary, and I, and we'll see how we go. So, Tansy, what do you think... Oh, well, I think Wheel of Time will win, but I would like Ancillary Justice to win because that's one that I really like. And frankly, I got to read it to the end. I don't think yeah. that having 8 million words necessarily makes a work superior. But I would be <laughs> upset if Wheel of Time won because, yeah. you know, it's a historical note. John? Yeah, it does seem a little, on the, just a note on the Wheel of Time. It seems, you know, people voting for the whole series is like people, you know, it's it's a, it's a weird comparison to make. It's like comparing apples with a huge bucket of other apples. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, so, so I think I, and I might refrain from saying what I want to win only because uh, I'm under read in these. It's hard. It's hard for me to pinpoint. Yeah. But as a guess, I will uh, say ancillary justice will take it home. Okay. Gary, I would be happy with either ancillary justice or Neptune's brood. Um, the thing that surprises me about Neptune's brood is that it's the only UK writer on the novel ballot it in is. the largest UK convention ever. That's true. It is. And I have to say, I didn't talk about what I've read myself, but I've read Ancillary Justice and Neptune's Brood, and I like Neptune's Brood very much. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting, interesting novel about debt theory and stuff set as a space opera. Now, for me, I actually think Wheel of Time may very well win. I think it's going to pique the curiosity of Hugo voters to have the chance to, to vote for 462 million words of, of prose at once. Um, I kind of hope Charlie Stross wins. I... I, I think Ancillary Justice is a, is a really good book, but I struggled with it a bit, to be honest, to read mm-hmm. it. I found it a little bit of a, a slog in places, whereas I didn't with Neptune's Brood. So, And also, I would love to see some UK nominees actually get up at th- this year. I wanted to see a UK slate for the, for the for the Hugos. So that's been a huge disappointment. So, yeah, I, I hope Charlie gets up. Well, you just didn't get organised enough, Jonathan, with the promoting ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just nominated, and I, we talked about it in the podcast, and we're blue in the face. But anyway. Yeah, the Australians are taking over the podcast category. So <laughs> we'll get there, Gary. All right, we'll get there, okay. You have are to come visit that? the country, otherwise we're going to have to exclude you, though, in future years. Okay, best novella. Yeah, <laughs> traditionally described as being the traditional length for, the best traditional length for a science fiction story. The nominees are Wakala Springs by Andy Duncan and Ellen Clagis from Tor.com, Echoid by Charles Stross from Tor.com, The Chaplain's Legacy by Brad Torgerson from Analog, 
Six Gun Snow White by Catherine M. Valenti from Subterranean Press, and The Butcher of Cardov by Dan Wells from Privateer Press. The Chaplain's Legacy by Brad Torgerson and The Butcher of Cardoff by Dan Wells were on the Sad Puppy Hugo Ballot. Ah. Those are our nominees. For, and straight off, off two, two big novellas from Toy.com, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you guys read any of these stories? I haven't read any of them. Um, I had a nope. ba- as, as you probably already know, Jonathan, I had a really bad year last year for short fiction. Yes. <laughs> I haven't read a thing. Uh, the, the ones that I am most excited to read when the Hugo packet arrives, though, frankly, at least with um, the Tor.com ones, I could go read them now, but I'm not going to. No. Um, as the Six Gun Snow White is the one I've been most interested in from last year. It keeps coming up and I, my ears keep pricking up about it, so I'm quite excited to read that one. Yeah. And Wakulla Springs as well is one I've heard a lot about, especially through the, the Nebula. I think it's on the Nebula ballot as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Like they both mm. are. Yeah. So those are the two that I'm most keen to read, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably most keen on uh, Equioi by Charles Strauss and Six Guns Snow White. I think those are uh, at least the things I've, I've heard, you know, I've, I've heard enough about buzz wise. That's really all I have to go on. But I was going, you know, as you know, we get a we get a lot of a lot of review copies here at SF Signal headquarters. And uh, and as I was going through, you know, w- one of the many huge amounts of book boxes, you know, organizing stuff and, and looking for stuff to send to reviewers. I found, uh, you know, I came across the Equioid, I guess, uh, subterranean press did mm-hmm. a print version of it yeah so i was like I was like, oh yeah yeah i missed that one and then and then sure enough it turned up on the ballot today and i'm like oh so now it's like you know now it's like peaking my interest right so <laughs> well i think it's a laundry yeah. novella if i you know is, is my recollection part of his laundry cycle yeah and i've, I've read some of the, some of those stories and they're they're great they're Ooh. just so much fun right yep. and gary and once again we've got only one uk writer on on the category. I've not read that. The two I've read, of the two I've read, Wakulla Springs and Six Gun Snow White. I would like to see Wakulla Springs when I think there'll be some discussion as to whether that constitutes a genre work, and I think that's a discussion worth having. I will completely defend its eligibility on that basis. I suspect Six Gun Snow White will win. Okay. We've got five novellas in the category. I've read four of them. I've not read The Butcher of Cardov by Dan Wells, I have to confess. Um, I really enjoyed a couple of them. I think uh, Andy and Ellen with Wakala Springs did a terrific job. I love the laundry work. Uh, I also really, really love Six Guns Snow White. Over the last three or four years, Kat Valenti has turned herself into a pretty remarkable short fiction writer mm-hmm. and has delivered a string of stories. I mean, Tansy, you'll remember quite fondly, I think, White Lines on a Green Field. Oh, absolutely. You know, and mm-hmm. I think she would make a remarkably worthy worthy win. I mean, for, for, for a from a personal perspective, I hope my dear friends Andy and Ellen win because they're my dear friends and I love to see your dear, dear friends win, so I confess that. But if uh, Charlie or Kat won, won, I would be very, very happy and I think Kat would make a remarkably worthy winner in the category, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Moving to best novelette. The novelette that they gun for on Twitter, or the category they gun for on Twitter because nobody seems to like novelettes, though I love them, and so forget it. The nominees are The Truth of Fact, The Truth of Feeling by Ted Chang from Subterranean Press, Opera Vita Eterna by Vox Day from The Last Witch King, The Waiting Stars by Aliette de Bodard from The Other Half of the Sky, The Last Astronaut of Mars by Mary Robinet Kowal from Ripoff, exclamation mark, and maryrobinetkowal.com, and the Exchange Officers by Brad Torgerson from Analog. Opera Vita Eterna by Vox Day and the Exchange Officers by Brad Torgerson are part of the Sad Puppy Ballot. 
go to it, people. What do you think of that? Well, I think the the big thing, I guess, to talk about on here, apart from the obvious um, sad puppy issues, is the Mary Robinette Kowal novelette, which was so controversial because we discovered last year, and famously poor Mary discovered at the Hugo Losers Party, where the stats came out was Mm -hmm. when we discovered that that work had been considered ineligible because of how it had been published, and that was quite controversial at the time, and now it's it has its chance this year. Uh, I think that that's very likely to get a lot of attention and for people to think of it because it was seen as a bit of a, I guess, mistake last year that it wasn't considered. But also, and more crucially, it's a really good story. Mm-hmm. Like, I nominated it both years. I mm-hmm. read it. It was one of my favourite novelettes last year, or year before, basically, when it can actually... Well, I suppose I actually technically read it last year on Mary's blog, so there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved it. I think it's a brilliant piece of science fiction. It's got really interesting uh, feminist issues in it, but it's also just a really nice blend of the modern science fiction and kind of vintage retro science fiction. So I love that piece to bits. Um, so I'd support that, and I think it might have a bit of fond feeling. But I also really enjoyed Elliot de Baudard's The Waiting Stars. I really enjoyed the anthology that that was in last year, and... Uh, that's also on the Nebula ballot, isn't it? It is. So uh, that's mm. that's one. I haven't read the, the Ted Chang, but okay. it's a Ted Chang story, so chances are it's going to be very, very good and it's going to have a lot of people supporting it. And we're back from a minor technical difficulty here in sunny Perth. And so I'll just we had just broken uh, – stopped on – everything should be written down. <laughs> and we're back from small tech technical – and we're back from a small technical difficulty here in Perth. John, we were just talking about the best novelette category, and you were just giving us your thoughts on the nominees and 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 the slate. Right. I hadn't um, I haven't read these specific stories, but um, I have read um, fiction by short fiction by Mary, Ted, and Aliette, and uh, and have only liked what I've read from them. So uh, uh, yeah, it's not it's not surprising that 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 I see their names on the ballot. Um, but yeah, I personally haven't read them. Okay. Gary? Again, I have two that I'd be happy with. I think Elliot de Bedard is one of the most interesting writers to come into the field in the last several years, and I love everything she does. And Ted Chang is Ted Chang. I mean, I've, I've talked to people who've read that, that uh, novelette, and, and we're going around using that phrase, the truth of fact, the truth of feeling, as though it were something we grew up with. It's a very powerful, moving uh, kind of novelette it's not it's not the kind of classic completely twist your mind into a new pretzel uh, ted chang thing but it's 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 it's, it's classic and, and i'm very fond of that and i'm very fond of valiettes and i don't know the others i'm afraid yeah i've i've read four of the five um i confess i've not read uh, the opera vita eterna story uh and i have heard there's some follow-on and i really don't remember what it was i was told there's some follow-on possible eligibility issue regarding the lady astronaut of mars still but setting oh, that, apparently i don't really remember what it is so i just flagged that i've heard it happen i don't really know what it means setting it aside though i've read i think it's a strong story and mary's a fine writer it's not my favorite i, I share both gary's affection for aliette's work and but i really ultimately of, of amongst the very good handful of stories I read last year. Ted's story actually stood out because of what it's about. You know, the the setup for the story, and, and it's also I have to say, 
one of the few science fiction stories around as well. Um, it's which, which is a prejudice of mine slightly that I like to see science fiction up for the Hugos, even though fantasy is fully eligible. Um, it's about a world where everybody has implants and it records the events that actually happen as you're there. So when you go back to remember th something and disagree, you can play back the actual events all the time. Every argument with your spouse, every fight with your children, every discussion with your parents is right there. And about a character who finds the world isn't quite how he remembered it when he went back to look at the actual facts and how that changed his perceptions of himself. It's a fascinating piece. I mean, I think it's a great, a great novelette. Uh, I, I think that's true. And I, just not to get into too fine a point of literary argumentation, I think that's that part of it is brilliant. That part of it is largely, in my mind, a recapitulation of John Crowley's novella, Snow. But what he does is he parallels that with a case of missionaries arriving at a particular African tribe, I forget the, which one they were, the Kib, I think. Um, and what happened when missionaries began keeping written records of what had been oral tradition? Uh, and that strikes me as just being utterly brilliant because he's finding that this modern technology, this 21st century record every moment of your life technology, simply parallels what happened when oral tradition was re replaced by written records yeah. uh, in the yeah. 19th century. And that's what really made it work for me was and i think that at some point ted must have thought i need to do that i need to parallel this with something else yeah. um, and it really makes it work for me yeah so all i'd say is i mean i would be i'd be delighted to see any you know sort of any of ted Elliot, or mary's stories win and i personally i particularly love ted's and think it would be a remarkably worthy winner okay here's the question that i have though for this category and it's a question i have for anybody who might be listening to us does anybody plan to read Opera Vita Eterna by Vox Day. It, okay, I'll start. If it is in the Hugo packet, I will read it, yes. I will not buy it. Um, <laughs> I might read it for curiosity's sake, but frankly, you know how there are just some people for whom it doesn't really matter whether their fiction is good or not, you're never going to enjoy it? Yeah. Because... I have that. I, I have that here. Look, I'll confess. I mean, I'll be completely blunt up front in public and take whatever criticism comes. My prejudices are such that irrespective of whether it is the best written story on the ballot or not, when I vote, I will not vote for it. But that's the only story work on this ballot that I will not vote for. So I am, I, yeah, likewise, incapable, also just incapable of an unbiased opinion. I don't sure. imagine that I'd be able to see it as the best on the no. ballot. Yeah. Because sometimes there are just some authors who kind of ruin it for themselves by dint of their yeah. public persona yeah. or who they are, which makes you not be able to enjoy what they write, yeah. basically. I, I think those are all fair statements. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I guess my issue is this, and I, 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 I'm, I probably will read it out of curiosity. I, I don't expect much of it. But one of the things that I think Jonathan, you and I have talked about this. I know I've talked about this with, with, with Guy Kay a couple of times, that there have been major writers in English and American literature who were who had reprehensible attitudes. And we, we, we because Guy it turns out and I use the same phrase for this, the, the Ezra Pound problem, you know, Ezra Pound, who was a supporter of Mussolini, who was a fascist, but who was really a brilliant poet. I don't suspect that Box Day is going to turn into an Ezra Pound, because for every Ezra Pound, there are about 3,000 fringe lunatics out there writing fiction. 
And I don't know at this point, I don't have enough information to know whether Opera Vita Eterna is a fringe lunatic work or an undiscovered Ezra Pound masterpiece, but I have my suspicions. I think, the nice thing about reading is that it doesn't have to be an unbiased experience. Even exactly. if we are voting on an award, we don't have to feel obliged to mm. go into something being terribly fair-minded. Uh, because reading is a very, very personal emotional experience. Cheryl Morgan wrote a great piece about this recently, talking mm. about reviewing and how reviewing mm. is not an unbiased experience and it shouldn't be. Uh, so I don't think we need to feel bad about whether or not we like this particular story. Because I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, <sighs> to be blunt about it, this work star starts so far behind the you know the, the rest of them that it would have to be beyond extraordinary to have a chance of attracting any vote from me at all. And I, whilst I've been struggling with it in other areas to do it, to do with our field lately, there is a thing where when you are openly, vocally political in a particular way, and you are an activist about it within the mm. context, particularly of our field, I think that comes into play. You, you've, you've put that chip on the table. And, it, you know, for example, it, I've, I've got to be honest, anybody else, and I don't know, anybody else on this ballot could have exactly the same views for all I know. I've got no idea for most of them. There mm -hmm. are people I know who are friends and there are people who are just people I've never met. Mm -hmm. And their views could be, and, and that's irrelevant unless you get out there campaigning about it. And in this particular instance, um, Theodore Beale did and has and was openly political. That this is a political act getting nominated. And I think it's, you know, since he's expressly said himself it's a political act to be nominated, Mm -hmm. It's not unreasonable to look at the nomination in that context. To respond yeah. to it politically. That yeah, makes yeah. sense. So, with that, maybe we shall move along to the best short story story category. And just quickly before I read the nominees, I'm going to make a, a quick observation. I don't know if you've noticed, partly because of the sad puppy ballot and partly because of everything else. No short fiction nominees from, from Asimov, from FNSF, from Clark's mm -hmm. World, from... Uh, from uh, Lightspeed, from Interzone, all kinds of places have not. The dominating short fiction publisher of 2013 was Tor.com, who took on Ellen Datlow and, and Vandermeer earlier in the year as editors and who have obviously done a sterling job as, as shown by this ballot. A number of the stories here are bought by them. Mm -hmm. Two on the novella category and on the novelette category was... Um, no, they didn't have one on the novel category. Yeah. So two on the novella category and two on the short story category or Tor.com publication. Yeah, and there's a lot of others that could have been there, frankly. Okay, mm -hmm. the nominees are The Water That Falls on You from Nowhere by John Chu from Tor.com, The Ink Readers of Doi Saket by Thomas Ulda Huvelt from Tor.com, Selkie Stories Are for Losers by Sophia Samatar from Strange Horizons, and If You Are a Dinosaur, My Love by Rachel Swirsky from Apex Magazine. What are our thoughts, guys? You, have you read any of them? I've read all of them. <laughs> I have read uh, The Swirsky and Samatar, mm -hmm. both of which I really liked. Uh, Selkie Stories of Losers was one of my favourite stories last year. If You're a Dinosaur, I think is really cute. I yeah. really like it. Uh, and obviously Rachel's on the, um, the nebula with that too. It's not my favourite Rachel Swirsky story from last year. That was um, all that fairy tale crap from... Um, Glitter mayhem. Mayhem. Yeah. I am a little sad that that isn't the one that's been picked up and getting the attention. And not just because it would mean all that fairy tale crap would be on the ballot, which would be quite funny. 
Um, But that's actually a really amazing story that I think everybody should read. But I think it's really nice that this is on here. But on the whole, my support would be for the Selkie Stories one because that's my favourite. I've heard great things about the other two. Uh, Well, particularly the John Chu. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of people talking about about the story and I'm really quite keen to read it. And I think I'm going to be reading the hell out of all the Tor.com stories on here because I haven't read any this year, which is bad. So I'm going to be catching up. John? Well, I'm nothing if not consistent. I haven't read any of these either. But uh, (laughs) the one... The one I'm most looking forward to is uh, the one by Sophia Samatar. Yeah. And Gary? I'll have to, uh, well, uh, uh, Tansy, it just occurred to me that if all that fairy tale crap had been on the same ballot with selkie stories are for losers, wouldn't that be sending a message to young writers? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly it would. Or maybe, maybe Hugo Give it a grip, people. Stop uh, the two I've read are, I, I, I'm, I'm an admirer of Rachel Swirsky, and we've had her on the podcast, and I've unfortunately not, not read that yet, but I will. I've read the Thomas Older Hubelt, did you know how to pronounce Huvelt. that? Huvelt? Older Huvelt. Okay. Uh, which, which I admired. I really like the Sophia Samatar story, and I think it's, it's a far sharper and deeper and more touching story than the title would suggest, and I was surprised when I saw it and I'm glad to see I guess when I uh, discover a writer through a novel, through a first novel that I knew nothing about when I read it the first time out and then find out that she can follow this up with very different but very inventive short stories so uh, that would be my choice uh, of this list mentioning also that I've not read the John Chu or Rachel Sorsky nominations I have read all four of these stories and uh, Mm -hmm. and just just quickly enjoyed all of them I, I I agree with the observation that Rachel's story is probably a slighter than um, the other story, all the fairy tale crap, and so maybe I would prefer to see it up because I love her work. I like this; it's a little slight. I think the the, the Samatar story is terrific. I really, really like the Huvelt story and the Chu story. I would be happy for any of them to win. I would also mention that this is an example, I believe, of the five percent solution. Which is the Hugo rule that says any work to make the final ballot must attract 5% of nominees. I suspect that when the final results of voting is published, you will see there was about 692,000 short stories published and Mm. a whole batch of them immediately below, you know, if you were a dinosaur, my lover, whichever was the bottom nominated of these in numbers that uh, could have been on lots and lots and lots. And that's going to be an ongoing problem for the Hugos. I may be incorrect about this, and I'm sure I'll be corrected if I was, but I believe that the Sad Puppy Ballot, the original Sad Puppy Ballot from Korea, did not have a short story recommendation on it. No, I don't believe so. And so there is not, it is not affected by that. Now, mm-hmm. typically, Gary, when you and I talk about the Hugos, we, trip, we skip over the, the next two categories slightly, but we'll stop and have a chat about them because I know I don't have a great deal of thought about the breast dramatic presentation in long form. But I will note that the the nominees are Frozen, Gravity, The Hunger Games Mm. Catching Fire, Iron Man 3, and Pacific Rim. I've seen seen three of the four of those and really enjoyed them. Tansy, do you have any thoughts? I'm quite excited by the the dramatic presentation ones this year, which is surprising for me too. Normally I look at them and go, uh, whatever. Um, I am very excited to see Frozen on there. I think Frozen is a really interesting, the response, to Frozen has been really interesting uh, mm. and there's, I'm glad to see a lot of fanish support for it Gravity is the one I most want to see that is on there that I still haven't um, and 
Pacific Rim, I didn't like as much as everybody else fanish seem, seemed to. Mm-hmm. So I'd be a bit sad if that one won. But yeah. I know it's got a lot of fanish support. But uh, <laughs> um, What part of I Monsters vs. No... Robots do you not get? <laughs> no, I get that. It's just everyone told me to... Ex- I, I went into it, unfortunately, after everybody else had seen it. So my expectations were too high. Mm. Ah. It'd be more oh, than that. Yeah, sure. Or that it would be interesting. And I didn't really find it that interesting. Um, but I think it's also worth noting that I think three of the five are part of this um, interesting trend we've got at the moment of female-led, massively successful mm. um, science fiction films. So three of them have like female leads, yeah. which is I an would, unusual I, thing for science fiction generally. I was going to make the same point, Tansy, except I would say three and a half, because I think Pacific Rim depends very heavily on the female lead as well as the male lead. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd go with that, absolutely. And I think it's um, it's something that a lot of people have talked about because last year had Frozen and The Hunger Games and mm. there was another one that's not on here, I can't remember. There have been a couple, some really successful um, films with female leads, which is making people rethink perhaps this idea that action movies or science fiction or whatever, you know, maybe mm. you can actually have girls in it and people, all sorts of people still go to see them. It's amazing. I, my, my... The movie of my heart on this list is Frozen. I loved bits, and I'd love to see it taken out. But from what I've heard of Gravity, I would not be surprised if that was the serious fan choice, and I would not be surprised if Pacific Rim was the movie of the heart of all of the rest of fandom that I've (laughs) been. Well, I've seen uh, I've seen Iron Man three, and uh, uh, while better than Iron Man two, I I don't think that movie had a whole lot of I don't know, let's say heart or soul, but, uh, you know, it was enjoyable for what it was. Pacific Rim, like you say, it's a, it's a, it's a fan, a fanish choice. It's, uh, ultimately though, it's just, it's dumb fun, right? If you, if you, if you start looking at it too closely you're going to find millions and millions of plot holes, but that's kind of not the point of a movie like this, right? Which is, you know, I guess maybe why it was successful or whatever. But I think because of that, and I'm, I'm going to gamble and I'm going to say that voters are actually going to shoot for quality here. And, uh, and I think, and although I haven't seen it, I think I think, uh, think Gravity is going to go home with the award. Oh. Gary, I've seen all of them, and I, I enjoyed them all in different ways. I mean, this is the sort of thing that I have to just shift gears mentally because this looks so unlike anything else on a Hugo ballot. Um, the thing that interests me is I'm 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 going to guess probably between Frozen and Gravity, uh, and. The thing that works against gravity is I've heard a lot of arguments that it's not even a science fiction film. People don't view it as science fiction. People view it as kind of a somewhat futuristic documentary that isn't really very speculative. Um, but I'm guessing that most likely the people who vote for Hugo Awards want to claim um, a, a hugely successful Academy Award-winning film for their own. There's, there's something that goes on in Hugo um, Voting, and we've seen this happen in the media categories again and again, where the Hugo doesn't validate the movie, but the movie validates the Hugo. Okay. In other words, I think the Hugo wants to be associated with movies like Gravity and Frozen because they want the world to think this is what science fiction or fantasy really is. That could be the case. That's interesting. Do you think? Do you think there's conscious? I mean, do you think uh, voters are doing that consciously? I think they do it consciously in every case except for Doctor Who. <laughs> in which case they do it out of sheer gut passion. 
Well, I, I should say, I mean, having seen the movies, I mean, I agree, Gravity... Well, personally, I think Gravity should win, though I think I think it's probably not a science fiction film. Um, and for all that I cannot stop my daughters singing the damn song, Frozen is a terrific movie as well. <laughs> um, and if my daughters would stop singing the song, I'd probably be happier about it winning the Hugo if it does. And I mean, I love I love Pacific Rim on on dumb fun grounds, but I wouldn't want it particularly to win. I've not seen Ca- Catching Fire yet. I'm the only member of the family who hasn't. But yes, mm. I, I, look, could win, will win. I think you know, Frozen may well win, but I'd like to see Gravity win. Any one of the, you know, and if, and if it or Pacific Rim won, I wouldn't go home in tears, frankly. Best dramatic pre- presentation, short form, a subject that I, I, have I know opinions. is. I know you have opinions. I know you do. <laughs> Uh, and we will get to them any minute. The nominees are An Adventure in Space and Time, Doctor Who, The Day of the Doctor, Doctor Who, The Name of the Doctor. There's no other of the Doctors, though. The Five-ish Doctors reboot, Tansy Goes Wild, Game of Thrones, The Reigns of Castamere, and Orphan Black, Variations on D- Domestication. And I'll just throw straight to Tansy because she needs to go mad. Absolutely. <laughs> I must admit... I thought it was going to be a bit of a gimme this year that given the Hugo's love for Doctor Who and given the general success of the Day of the Doctor as a 50th anniversary celebration, Mm. I kind of thought that one was a really obvious winner. Having said that, look at the shortlist. Most Doctor Who fans I know, and I know a lot of them, (laughs) um, thanks to my connections with the Doctor Who podcasting community, Mm. um, while they really enjoyed, most of them really loved the Day of the Doctor, um, most of them actually slightly more loved An Adventure in Space and Time and or The Five-ish Doctors. Um, mm. Adventure in Space and Time is the one that probably should be swept under the carpet on the grounds of it's not actually science fiction. <laughs> um, again, like it's really not science fiction. It's a docudrama about the making of science fiction. So really it possibly should be under best related work. Um, but having said that, it is a glorious nostalgia piece about making of television. And it's one of those things, you know, it's about science fiction. It's something that and I'm sure they've had documentary. Have they had documentaries on this category before? They certainly should have done. I, I don't um, know. Yeah, so I can see why it's on there, apart from... I mean, it does have actors playing a script. No, it's docudrama, but I can see how, like, if you had a documentary about Isaac Asimov on there, nobody would really say that's not science fiction. The only thing I can think of to compare it with would be the film Wide, Wide World from about, I don't know, 20 years ago, which was a film about the youth of Robert E. Howard. Yeah. Um, or even compare it to a certain song about Ray Bradbury. Um, <laughs> it's about science fiction, okay? It is an, it was an amazing production. But frankly, looking at this list, I really want Peter Davison to get the Hugo. Um, again, The Five-ish Doctors was about Doctor Who. It wasn't a piece of Doctor Who. But uh-huh. it was just – and it was a spoof. It's a comedy half hour um, made by people who didn't get to be in the anniversary but it was such a hilarious, brilliant video and it was made with such love for Doctor Who. And if it was just, like, if these were awards being voted on just by Doctor Who, people kind of in the fan community, I would not be shocked to see this one actually beat out Day of the Doctor. So I think the mm-hmm. downside is that probably not as many people have seen it. Yeah. So, and it probably won't be in the Hugo packet, though that would be awesome because it hasn't been released on DVD. 
Cool. And frankly, I have no problem with Game of Thrones winning stuff in the Hugos because I think it's a really well-made show. But the Reigns of Casimir was a really depressing episode. I don't <laughs> think it really compares to, say, the grandeur of Blackwater or anything like that. So I think it's Doctor Who's year. John, any thoughts? Well, I, I kind of like all these nominees, but yeah, the two standouts for me are uh, An Adventure in Space and Time, which, you know, uh, we watched here uh, with my family and, and they all loved it. I mean, you know, repeated viewings even, right? Uh, you know, categorization, categorization aside, I, I think that was uh, that was just a, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, perhaps even more fun was the Five-ish Doctors reboot. That would be the, the uh, my other one. It was just you know it was just hilarious, right? It was what it was just well done and and funny and and you know charming and and it was a, that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, oh, and on a, on a historical note, I'll, I'll note I, I was just looking up some past winners for dramatic presentations short form. Apparently, in two thousand four, uh, Gollum's acceptance speech from the two thousand three MTV Movie, Movie Awards won. Which I thought is kind of comical, but yeah. what are you going to do? If that can win, then certainly a docudrama about science fiction can win, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Gary, I um, the only thing that strikes me about this is that the Doctor Who community is so large that in in a normal year, uh, you would expect the Doctor Who community to split among the various nominees and. Therefore, thereby give a chance to Game of Thrones or Orphan Black, which I've not seen, but I keep hearing wonderful things about, and I'm going to start watching it uh, soon. But the thing is, that community is so large that one of the Doctor Who things is going to win. It's going to win every time out. Um, and apart from that, I'm not sure. I, I would love to see something like an adventure in space and time win because it stretches, even though it is not science fiction, it makes us think about how science fiction is made. And I think that's always a fascinating uh, question. Okay. Well... I'm keenly aware that we're getting towards the, later in the part of our estimated amount of time, and you guys have things to mm -hmm. do. So I'm going to try and pick it up a little bit because I don't want you know you, you Tansy sort of to be left stranded, having suddenly agreed to you know be here for an hour, and we're nearly through that already, and we've got some crunchy stuff to get through on the ballot. But I'll move quite right along to best related work nominations being Queer, Queers Dig Time Lords, a celebration of Doctor Who by the LGBTQ fans who love it. Sigurd Ellis, Mike, Michael Damon Thomas. We have always fought challenging the woman cattle and slaves narrative, Cameron Hurley. Speculative Fiction 2012, the best online reviews, essays, and commentary, Justin Landon and Jared Shuren editors. Writing Excuses Season 8, Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Rabonet Kowal, Howard Taylor, and Jordan Sanderson for a podcast. And Wonderbook, the illustrated guide to creating of imaginative fiction by Jeff Vandermeer with Jeff Reeser Foss. Now, just quickly, I'm familiar with most of these, and I loved Wonderbook, and I think would make a great winner. That's my feeling on this one. Over to you, Tansy, as we go around the table. Um, I still haven't read Wonderbook, but it's one of those I've 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 been meaning to, and I'm sure it's wonderful. I've heard great things. This is such an exciting shortlist. I love how ridiculously different everything on there is. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited for Michael Damien Thomas, a friend of mine who is has his first kind of his own. Like I think he he was part of the Apex nomination last year, but it's still like it's really nice to see him on there, especially with a. Um, said a, a book about queer themes which is one of those things you know it's it's nice to see these things making the hugo list uh spec fic 2012 i was actually in so i'm quite i'm taking <laughs> a little piece of that nomination i'm quite pleased by it i think it's a fantastic project that was the first year i think that they did it and yep. um different people are going to be editing it each year this year's is actually edited by the book smugglers so different blogs different 
online communities participating. And I think it was a great collection of, of essays. It's worth looking up because it's got a lot of fantastic blogging from from the year in a nice little readable form. Cameron Hurley, Hurley's um, essay, We Have Always Fought, was brilliant. Um, we actually had that on our Galactic Suburbia Award list as well because mm -hmm. it was something we felt was really important. And she's just done some amazing online writing this year. Uh, the only thing I'm not familiar with at all really is the Writing Excuses podcast, which I know of but have never listened to. Yeah. Obviously you don't so, need any writing excuses. No. No. <laughs> Excitingly diverse yes. list, i got to say. John? I don't think I could say it better than that. It's it is wonderfully diverse. There's a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, media types and 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 lengths, right? Title, you know, lengths of of the work here. But I gotta say, I, a Wonder Book is a thing of beauty. It's heavy. It's beautiful. It's and I'm and I'm quite smitten by it. I'm I'm hoping that goes home with the award. Yep. Gary, I like the speculative fiction 2012 because I think that's an important historical movement to bring some of the ephemeral online stuff into sort of uh, attention in, in in a broader context. And I think that's something that we've talked about off and on, and I think it, it needs to be recognized. And I've also read part of Cam Hurley's uh, piece, which I think is also impressive. Wonder Book is interesting to me in that it's not specifically about science fiction or fantasy. It's a guide to creative writing, but it uses the... Uh, dimensions of science fiction and fantasy as as all of its examples and it has lots of wonderful little pieces in it and it is a gorgeous book I, I mean I agree with everybody who's talked about it so far I think it's just um, something that's I have no intention ever of writing fiction again myself and I still enjoyed going through it and looking at all the bits and pieces and ideas in it and so forth Excellent. so I'm guessing that will win yeah best graphic story um, the Girl Who Loved Doctor Who by Paul Cornell with art by Jimmy Broxton from the Doctor Who Special 2013. Girl Genius Volume 13, Agra Agatha Hetrodyne and the Sleeping City by Phil and Kaya Folio, art by Phil Folio, covers by Cheyenne Wright. The Meat House Man, adapted and uh, illustrated by Raya Golden from a story by George R.R. R. Martin. Time by Randall Munro from XKCD. And Saga Volume 2 by Brian K. Vaughan with art by Fiona Staples. And just quickly, I have to say, having started reading the graphic story slash comic books uh, category a couple of years back, I love Saga ridiculously. I think it's brilliant, and I want it to win everything. I enjoy Randall Munro. The, George, Mar I haven't I haven't read the the adaptation of Meat House Man, but George's story is fantastic. And I've not read the Girl Genius volume, and I really want to track down Paul Paul's comic because it sounds interesting, and I've enjoyed his stuff in the past. Dancy. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I also want Saga to win everything. Um, if we could just get Saga to win all the Hugo categories, we could all go home. Um, <laughs> I love it to bits. Kind of exciting to see Girl Genius back, mm -hmm. I think. They they won the first two years in this category, and then they stepped down, and I think it is nice to have them back. And, of course, that does throw up into the air, well, the, the, the idea of a winner, because, of course, they were the uh, absolute favourites back in the day. I have deep fondness for Paul's uh, The Girl Who Loved Doctor Who, not just because he put a reference, a, a slightly obscure reference to the Verity podcast in <laughs> the book, but it is a really great comic, and I recommend people who want to hunt it down, uh, just get it on Comixology if you've got an iPad or access to Comixology, because it's a great way to buy single issues, and um, yeah, it's, it's very, very cute. 
so so that's it for me. But you know, I I love Paul Story. I'm very fond of Girl Genius, but you know, Saga is is deeply bashed into my heart. So <laughs> yeah, this is this is another strong list, right? It's like hard to look at those and and pick. I kind of want them all to win, right? But uh, I'm gonna have to side with Saga. Yep, Gary. I have nothing useful to say here at all. I mean, I've heard wonderful things about Saga. I've not read anything on the list. But you have an iPad. I'm going to go on Comixology as soon as we finish this podcast. No, I you're not. Thanks. No, you're I'll not. Right. No, you're not. Don't no. lie. It's okay. Right. I'm okay. <laughs> okay. With, with that, I mean, I, I could say there's a few other comics I can think of that have been eligible in previous years, and um, I think G. Willow Wilson's Miss Marvel from this year is something to think about for next year. But anyway, moving along. Best editor, profession, sorry, best professional editor, long form. The nominees are Ginger Buchanan from Ace Books in her final year of eligibility. She won last year. Sheila Gilbert from Door Books. Liz Gorinsky from Tor Books and Tor.com. Lee Harris from Angry Robot. And Tony Weisskopf from Bain. Tony Weisskopf was part of the Sad Puppy ballot. I think it would be very surprising if Ginger Buchanan didn't win it, given you know that she has just retired and there's a lot of... It, it's a tricky category because a lot of people do look at it and go, I don't know what these people edited. Uh, so mm. I hope the Hugo Packet does a bit to kind of... Mm. You know, they do something. Even just a list, you know, yeah. a list for each editor of what they edited that year. Yeah. But I would be very much surprised if Ginger McKenna didn't make it this year because, you know, because yeah. at the end of a, a really, really successful and important career, it's nice when people give you shiny things. Mm -hmm. John. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah, two, two things you just brought up, Tansy. One was, that, you know, voters often don't know which editors edited which books. And, and of course, that kind of, you know, helps them decide, you know, which way to vote. Uh, and, and two, right there's there is this the sentimental aspect of, of voting for for someone in their last year of eligibility. So uh, so yeah, so uh, you know if I had to guess, I'd I'd say Ginger. Yeah. Gary, I'd say the same thing. Ginger has had a legendary career. This is one of the things that happens every, occasionally when you've got um, you've, you've got one person in a list who's effectively being considered as a career reward, and I think that's what's happening with Ginger. I think it's entirely reasonable, uh, and I'm, I'm guessing that she would likely um, win for that reason. I think the other, the, other, the other person who I keep watching and shows up on the ballot fairly regularly is Liz Gorinsky. Now, she is a friend, and she is a very good editor, and I think that she suffers from the fact that a lot of people voting don't have any clues to what she's edited. Uh, but I'll still go with Ginger as a likely winner. Yeah, I think Ginger's the likely winner, but I think... Um, actually, there, there are se several books, not the least the, the Lois McMaster Bujold books that Tony Weisskopf edits that I've got a lot of time for, I have to say. Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed some of the Angry Robot books, and I don't know whether it's Lee who's uh, edited them uh, as the sole male nominee in the category, mm -hmm. or whether it was um, Mark, who's the other major editor, principal editor there. Mm -hmm. But I think it's overwhelmingly going to be Ginger. Best Professional Editor Short Form. The nominees are John Joseph Adams, Lightspeed and, and Anthologies, Neil Clark for Clark's World, Ellen Datlow for being Ellen Datlow, Jonathan Strahan, and Sheila Williams. I've got to say, out of the box, Ellen Datlow will win this award. Moving along to you, Tansy, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on your nomination, John. Thank you. Um, I would not be surprised at all if Ellen won, because she is a fabulous editor. Uh, she is. She's, she's a, a fabulous editor. editor. 
And I think she pointed out, didn't she, on, on Twitter, she hasn't, she doesn't always make, I think because a lot of the work she edits is not seen as science fiction. Like she's been doing predominantly horror books for a few years. So I think her being on tour.com is now giving people an excuse to put her back on there. Not that they no, should ever not nominate her, but, you I know. Tell you, I can tell you exactly what's happened. Yeah. Stanley Schmidt isn't eligible. Oh. I mean, well, I mean, it's, it's a numbers game. Time. That part of it's a numbers game. Yeah. Because this is her first year on since 2010. And she's always been the one person immediately below the, the, the rest of the slate. And this has brought her back on, which is great because she should have been on on along, and um, yeah, fabulously worthy. Yeah, but it's interesting because the work that she's doing on tour.com, I think as well, is moving her so that people are remembering as well that she's not just a horror editor, which is a really important thing yeah. to remember. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, one of the most influential editors. Well, I mean, just this whole this again. This is another one of those tough lists. I mean, look at this. How can you how can you ask me to choose? I'm not choosing. You know what? Everyone wins. <laughs> can I do that? Well, yes, you can. Sure. <laughs> and congratulations, Jonathan. Thank That's you very awesome. Much. Congratulations to you, Jonathan. Thank you. Do you have anything to say, Gary, other than that, or should we just move along? <laughs> well, I, 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 I t tend to agree. This is another thing. You know, Ellen is somebody who, again, has, has established a legendary career. And then, or, or she, she reminds me of Ginger, that when she makes her way back onto the ballot, and I think she does need to reassert herself and has been reasserting herself as somebody other than a horror editor. I mean, her last book is what? Lovecraft's Monsters. Uh, I'm glad to see that. But Jonathan, I'm really glad to see you on here, too. Oh, I think you. you did. I, I guess I should, grace, I should perhaps parse the ballot a little bit as a re wide reader of short fiction. I think John's mm -hmm. actually been doing a great job with Lightspeed this year. You know, I have not always been an unmitigated lover of Lightspeed, but 2013 Lightspeed had some great stories on it. John did a great job. Mm -hmm. Clark's World has been fantastic for a chunk of time, and I think last year was another strong year, so I'm deeply unsurprised to see him on the ballot, even if there wasn't a standard group of people get voted for. Uh, Asimov's Sheila's done a, a fine job since she took over there so from Gardner has changed it, evolved it, far more, I think, than people realize at first subtle glance. So there's nobody, in my opinion, who's an unworthy nominee. I am frankly surprised when I think about it that T Trevor Quatri hasn't been so much as mentioned, though. I think this is the first time, possibly in more than 40 years, that an analog editor has not been on the Hugo ballot. Hmm, good point. Which is an interesting little aside, because quite often these things historically have mapped to magazines, and John does map to Lightspeed, Neil to uh, mm -hmm. Clark's World, Sheila to Asimov's quite neatly. Ellen is a much more flexible uh, in terms of what she's nominated for uh, editor. Lots and lots of fantasy anthologies, some horror, and now her involvement as one of the six or eight rotating editors buying short fiction for Tor.com. Mm -hmm. So very interesting stuff. Okay, I have to apologize because I actually am going to have to run. I have completely run out of time. Okay, I'm sorry, Tim. My family has been very patient. So you are <laughs> just going to have to take the baton from me and talk about the feminist implications of the professional artist. Which you've been waiting to get to. Sorry. Okay. Have a great Easter. <laughs> That's all Sunday. right. Okay. I am very sorry to you, but it was bye -bye. lovely to talk okay. to you Thanks. all, and okay. I bye. enjoy listening to the rest of the podcast. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. All right. Thanks. Sorry. Bye. We went on for far too long. Oh well, we have. But, but that means in, in honor of Tansy's departure, I was going to say the best professional artist category. And I'm going to even try and lift this up even more if I can, because we really need to get done. I know. Mm -hmm. We have six nominees, Galen Dara, Julia, Julie Dillon, 
Daniel Dos Santos, John Harris, John Picaccio, and Fiona Staples in what is the first gender-balanced Hugo ballot for artist in history. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, Good to I've see. Noticed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is great. Gail and Dara did the cover for uh, Glitter and Mayhem and a bunch of other great stuff. Uh, Julie Dillon, mm-hmm. everybody else had work around, and Fiona Staples particularly for Saga. Do you guys have any particular thoughts on it, or should we roll past and just mention that it's a remarkably good thing? It's a good thing, That's but I have well. no idea. All, all very capable artists. Very, okay. very and good good stuff. I, I, I suspect, John, you're in the same position I have, that you see so many arcs that don't have cover art on them that you don't really see the finished books unless you go look for them. Uh, well, we do those cover posts, right? And that's where I start oh, salivating over all the art, you know? Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> okay, best semi-prosine. The nominees are Apex Magazine, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Interzone, Lightspeed, and Strange Horizons. And all I can say about this is I think they're all really worthy nominees. There's this, probably a couple others that could have been there, but it's a great category. I think it's a really strong list. Agree. Do we have a could win, should win? Okay, how about this? I think Lightspeed beats... might win, but I'd love to see Interzone win because it's UK. I'd like to see some Brits win. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Okay. Best fanzine on which I profess upfront I have no real thoughts uh, the nominees are The Book Smugglers, a dribble, a dribble of Ink, Elitist Book Reviews, Journey, Planet, and Porno Kitsch. I note for the record that Elitist Book Reviews, which was a previous Hugo nominee, was also on the Sad Puppy ballot. So, I right. no- Larry's a, a frequently visits uh, Elitist Book Reviews. I think that was a thing last year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's that said, it's a it's a great site, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's another strong ballot. This is this is the first, you know, maybe the thing to note here is uh, this is the first time that there's more blogs than traditional fanzines, right? Yeah, I think. I think yeah. you're right, yeah. So Journey Planet being the only, you know, quote unquote, traditional fanzine. Um, and, uh, and and the rest of them, uh, I guess the rest of them, yeah, their first, I mean, their first nomination for, for Best Fanzine, which is, which is great. That's good to see. And, and all strong contenders. So it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. It will indeed. Uh, best fans, fan cast. And let's just say the most interesting category on the ballot. The uh, <laughs> best fan cast nominees are the Cood Street, pa- put, pa- <laughs> the Cood Street <laughs> podcast, to which you are listening. Doctor Who Verity, which features... Tansy Randy Roberts, very recently of this episode. Galactic Sur- Superbia po- podcast, which also features Tansy Randy Roberts, recently of this podcast. SF Signal podcast, which features John. Congratulations for your team. Thank you very much. The Patrick Hester Skif- did all the heavy lifting there. A, a, mm. a fine, fine show. The Skiffy and Fanty show, which I've listened to. Tea and Jeopardy. And the writer and the critic, which I have to confess, amongst all the many nominees, had me running around flailing my arms and going, yay, 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 because I'm thrilled that Kirsten and Ian are on the ballot on what is a strongly Australian ballot, probably the most Australian category of them all. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting, right? Yes, and we can't really... I think it probably... If, if, if as nothing other than diplomacy, we can't really handicap it other than to say good luck to one and all, and we hope, John, that you and Patrick will be there on the evening and we can toast one another and have a glass of champagne and hope that it just goes however it goes. That, that would be fantastic. I would not be disappointed however this turns out. They're all, they're all good, good, uh, I think good so. podcasts. I feel, the, I feel the same way would be congratulating... Each other on, uh, on on whoever wins this one. It's 
It's interesting that the podcast category has gotten that many strong nominees in the last couple of years. Yeah, yes. There's a lot of good quality podcasting going on. And, and let us also acknowledge the, the SF Squeecast, which withdrew last after last year's win and which is a very like would very likely have been a nominee and even winner this year so yeah. you know hats off to them and all the other yes. nominees but to us because we're actually extra special <laughs> best fan writer and the nominees are Liz Burke Cameron Hurley Foz Meadows Abigail Nussbaum and Mark Oshihiro and I will tell you that I'm personally particularly delighted by Cam Hurley and Abigail Nussbaum making the ballot and half of my friends are running around like Muppets flailing their arms over Foz Meadows, who I think is an Australian making the ballot. So, John. Uh, again, another another strong ballot. It's uh, it's it's nice to see, and, and it's a it's a women heavy ballot, which is which is great, right? And then uh, and and the the thing to note here is that these folks are not just writing about genre, but they're writing about the genre community, yep. which I think is what makes their writing important and uh, and and definitely worth reading. Gary? I was one of those who nominated Abigail Nussbaum because I think she's a first-rate critic and, 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 and reader of the field. Uh, I'm not familiar with everyone on, on the ballot. Like I say, I mentioned some of, uh, I've, I've read some of Cam Hurley's posts and I, I know her as well, but uh, the, 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 the thing is I didn't think to nominate Cam Hurley because I'm not somebody who always thinks about what a fan writer is. I mean, I read blogs, people send me links to things, I go there and I read what it is and it, at some, in, in, in some cases, such as with Cam Hurley, I didn't, never occurred to me, oh, yeah, this is fan writing. Um, and I think that category is one that uh, I need to think more about. I think it needs, to, uh, it, it needs to clarify what it includes. And what it includes is almost anything that anybody writes online. One of the issues in the last few years, of course, were Scalzi or Fred Pohl, you know, getting this award. Uh, and the same thing happened to me. I didn't think of them as fan writers either, but I guess that uh, that under the definitions of the rules, that's what uh, all of these people are. Okay. Uh, best fan artist. The nominees are Brad W. Foster, Mandy Manzano, Spring Sean Huth, Steve Siles, and Sarah Webb. I confess, apart from Brad Foster's work, I'm almost completely ignorant in the category, but I wish everybody well. Same, yeah, same same thing here. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's step, so then step forward quickly to the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer That's Not a Hugo. Or something like that. And I love this category anyway, and I'm very happy with these nominees. Uh, the nominees are for the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer, in brackets, Not a Hugo Award. Wesley Chu, who is not a Hugo Award. Max Gladstone, who is not a Hugo Award. Ramiz Nam, who is not a Hugo Award. Sophia Samatar, and Benjamin Sridhankow, I think. I love this ba- this ballot. I particularly am huge fans of Rami, Sophie's, Sophia, and Benjamin's work. I always hate the fact that you come up against the second year of eligibility limit because I'd love to see Benjamin win. But allowing for that, either R- Rami's or S- Sophia would make me very happy, and I would have a soft spot for Sophia because we've had her on the podcast. John? Yeah, I, this this category it cracks me up. You know, number one is the whole you know not a Hugo disclaimer, right? And yeah. then uh, 
And then, and then the other mm-hmm. thing is this this second year of eligibility. So you got the stars next to the names of, of the people. You know, this is their last chance to get. You know, if you're gonna vote for them, vote for them this year because it's their last chance. <laughs> this, this category always reminds me of that game Operation. Okay. You know, or or, or Perfection, yeah. right? Where you're trying to do something before the board pops, right? It's it's so it's I feel very stressful when I look at stressed out when I look at this when I look at this category. But uh, again, I've heard I've heard good things about uh, Sophia. Um, I've met Max. He's a, he's a wonderful person in West. He's hilarious. Um, I, you know, again, any, any one of these folks can get it and I wouldn't be disappointed. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way. I think that, uh, I mean, my favorite is Sophia. She's a friend. She's done, as I say, she's followed up a good novel with a lot of good short fiction. I've read a couple of stories by Ramez Nam and one story, I think by, uh, Benyanen. And I, I know Wesley, and I, so so you're right there. But I, I agree with John. There's this sense that asterisk, you know, if that asterisk means okay, this is triage time. You better vote. You better vote for one of these people. Going to their careers are over. You know, you've you've destroyed their career by not voting for them this year. And you think there, okay, there are a couple of people here that are going to be on next year. So there is that sense. Well, I can pick them up next year. Uh, which is always a bad idea, frankly. Well, largely because you'll then have that terrible pressure again. And also, frankly, there's never a guarantee someone will make the ballot again. So roll the dice as you will and go for who you think should win. Absolutely. You have to do that because every year I know where the World Fantasy Awards and I know, uh, Jonathan, at least you've been a judge of these things. The thing comes up with the Life Achievement Award where somebody says, well, this person is, is going to win it or this person probably has won it. And so we don't have to do it because some other committee will take care of it. You can never assume that the next year's votes will take care of who you really wanted to win. Agreed. And I will say that in this year where the 1,923 nominating nominating ballots were received, we have got a very interesting discussable slate. We've gone way over length. I greatly appreciate your time, John, and Tansy's. I will point out something before we wind up and say actually goodbye. A friend uh, emailed me during the podcast and just noted Mm -hmm. one thing. Six works that are on the Hugo ballot are also on the Nebula ballot this year. All overlaps are by women. Interesting. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, now, one of the overlaps... Is, co- is co-written, yes. yes. It's co-written. By the, yes, well, Color Springs is co-written with Andy Duncan, but basically the point holds, which I think is fascinating, and, and I, I wish them well with all the awards. And I can only repeat, first of all, quite sincerely, thank you, John. We really appreciate you making the time this morning for coming on the podcast. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for the invite. And Gary, it's fun as always. As always, and we'll talk next week. We will talk next week, and the three of us will meet at the, I hope, John, at the uh, Hugo reception, where we will or won't wear tuxedos and will sip champagne and hope that good things happen on the night. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll meet each other before the actual night of the reception. There's a three or four days. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And with that, fare thee well. Thank you all. Good night.